Again, this is really a story about how art is promoted and seen and verified on Instagram. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. This week's story begins like so many art purchases do these days. A collector sees his peers talking up a work of art on Instagram, messages the artist's dealer, and makes a purchase. In this case, however, there was just one problem. Neither the fellow collectors nor the artist in question actually existed. That fateful transaction is just the tip of the iceberg of a broader scheme. Someone or a group of people created fake profiles of jet-setting Italian collectors online to promote a fake artist and ended up making real money in the process. The tale reveals just how little we often know about the person on the other end of a transaction in our networked age, and also how easy it is to play the part of an art world sophisticate online. Kate Brown, who broke the story, discussed the saga with Artnet News executive editor Julia Halpern. Here, they talk about the incredible story. Hi, Kate. Thanks for coming on The Art Angle. Thanks for having me. So this is a story about deception, Instagram, and the art market. How did you first find out about it? Yeah, well, as you say, this is indeed a story about Instagram. So very appropriately, I found out about it on there. This is also where I had several conversations with people who were either affected by this scheme or had some tips or directions to send me in. And there's actually still a ripple of that. People are still DMing me to share their reactions or experiences about what happened. But what really broke through was when an Italian journalist, Nicola Zanella, reported about what seemed to him to be a quote-unquote Ponzi scheme involving a group of fake Italian collector accounts who were active on Instagram. Though I think that catfishing is probably more the accurate term. Should we explain for those listeners who don't spend a lot of time on the internet what catfishing means? Yeah, catfishing is um, when you lure someone in with a false personality. And that can eventually lead to financial deception or it can lead to you no know, fake relationship, but it's just fundamentally like deceiving someone by a fake account or a fake persona. So with that framework, let's start at the beginning. Before this scheme came crashing down, it looked like any other network of art world people hyping each other up online. So who are the key players? Introduce us. So this whole scheme is largely set within the algorithm, if you will, of the Italian art world. Sometime around last spring summer, a group of four Instagrammers purporting to be Italian collectors showed up on the art scene. So we have Carlo Alberto Ferri, who's a good-looking guy who appears to be somewhere under 40. In his profile pics, you see him with sunglasses on the beach. He's wearing Prada. Seems to be like the heir to a bunch of money. There's his friends or acquaintances, a Veronese wine grower named Raffaele Sartori, a fashion entrepreneur called Beatrice Rinaldi, and a businessman named Pier Paolo Lonati, who was from the Italian town of Brescia, but is based in Switzerland now. You know, in retrospect, that all sounds quite cliche, but they seem to be quite fond of emerging artists and seem to be buying art online just like everybody else and sharing their nice trips around. So nothing suspect at first. And another point where they all converged was that they all were quite interested in this German painter named Moritz Krauss, and he made these sorts of zombie formalist-like paintings. So that's the main cast. So we'll get more into our friend Moritz Kratz in a little bit. But, you know, you say that these characters sound kind of cliche, but then again, the art world is 
full of cliches. So that also doesn't seem like it would be a deal breaker. But now we do know for sure that none of these people actually exists. But for a while, they were kind of networking and talking amongst themselves. And they were even being featured in the press and giving interviews about their collections. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, how they were presenting themselves to the world, what they said that they owned and what their ethos was. Yeah, everyone I just listed does not seem to be a real person. I have not been able to speak to anyone who's ever physically met them. So they seem to totally not exist. But what is clear is that whoever is behind these accounts was likely someone from inside the art world because they really knew how the game worked. You have these four collectors and they're routinely replying and commenting on each other's posts. Again, as you say, nothing unusual. Wealthy people from the same scene tend to know each other. They're writing emerging artists on Instagram, asking for prices and portfolios, which is also not that weird these days as more and more of the art business takes place online. And the Italian media has honed in on them for comments and for interviews, which is also quite normal because journalists are always looking for new talking heads to comment and offer fresh perspectives on the art business. So yeah, they were presenting themselves quite well. There was nothing strange at first glance. Then also, again, it's not that weird that no one had met them in person right away. But as I said before, in retrospect, it all looks quite weird. You know, in one interview, for example, they were presenting themselves as having artworks that were by Christopher Wool, Rudolf Stingel, and Frank Stella. In another interview, they shared a photograph of an artwork that is apparently at the Aspen Art Museum. So they had loaned works to a prominent U.S. institution. You'd think someone would have met these people at an art fair, especially if they're owning blue chip artists like that and they're lending out work to institutions. But again, everyone is so busy. And I think more to the point that the art world loves its discretion. So maybe it's not weird that no one met them. So you mentioned a couple of artists that these collectors purportedly owned work by, but they were particularly keen on a few and really talking them up and posting a lot about them. So who exactly were they promoting? Well, they were promoting a lot of minimalist Italian art and artists, but in particular, they were promoting this one German artist who was apparently from Frankfurt, Moritz Krauss, who I mentioned before. And he also made minimalist paintings. They were on aluminum or linen, usually in blue or black with these kinds of white scratch marks. Again, not a lot going on in them and all very reminiscent of this like art market bubble of the 2010s. It's just so crazy. I just, <laughs> I mean, so these are real paintings, like they're paintings that exist somewhere in the world. And at least two collectors bought the work of Moritz Krauss after seeing it promoted online. So how did that happen? And how did these works go from being an image on Instagram to, you know, arriving in a box in a real person's house? Yeah, I know. It's truly strange in fiction. I mean, someone must have been making them. Could be the only answer. Someone is painting these paintings and sending them out. Again, this is really a story about how art is promoted and seen and verified on Instagram. So one collector I spoke to said they had liked the work by Krauss on Instagram. It popped up on their feed. They noted that Krauss had been in one or two recent shows. One was at a space in Tokyo, which at the time seemed to be real. We found out since then that it's not. And one space called Spazio Or. And so this collector ended up talking to Spazio Or and buying work directly from them. And you know, it was shipped out in due time, nothing alarming about it. The other collector I spoke to didn't end up buying a work, but they had received offers. And it was also from Spazio Or. And interestingly, this collector had also been contacted by Carlo Alberto Ferri and Raffaele Sartori over Instagram. 
And Sartori was pumping his collection of Italian minimalist art and encouraging this real collector who I spoke to, to you know, buy Italian artists. And also that he knew of this great minimalist artist, Moritz Krauss. And the real collector that I spoke to took the bait and contacted Spazior and got some offers. So this is the way that business is done these days. And none of it really raised alarm for any of them, especially because, you know, the work was actually delivered in at least two cases. So did you talk to the real gallery, Spazio Orr, that sold this work? Well, I did. Someone emailed me back from the Gmail account of Spazio Orr. I'm not sure who emailed me back, although the space is known to be run by two artists, Federica Francesconi and Francesco Di Prezzo. But interestingly, Spazio Orr is based in Brescia. So it's a real space, or at least it was a real space at some point. I spoke to an artist who did have a show there and you know, went there and hung artwork there. And you may recall that Brescia is where Lonati is from. So I, I, oh, yes. coincidence. <laughs> but yeah, I wrote a very to the point email verifying some facts that I heard and they responded with a kind of poem of sorts with a bunch of questions like, can the photographic documentation of an exhibition be the exhibition? Is a viewing room a real exhibition? How do you get influenced by the narrative of a work you have never seen? So I didn't get any real information from them, but I did hear from someone. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, we'll get a little more into that later. But first, how much did these collectors pay for this work by fake artist Moritz Krauss? The work was cheap. The offers that one collector received was between 1,000 and 3,000 euros, so 1,100 to 3,300 US dollars. And the collector that I spoke to who did buy work paid 1,100 euros for it, so 1,300 US dollars. Not a ton of money in this business. So this scam could probably have gone on for much longer, but the fake collectors got spooked and deleted their accounts. So how did they get found out? You know, it seems like it started to fall apart for them in December, at least behind the scenes. More accurately, again, I think in Instagram chats, like people, it seemed from my research, were starting to ask each other in the Italian art world, like, hey, do you know these guys? Who are these people? <laughs> Raffaele Sartori, or the person behind that account, uh, did an interview with Rea Arte, this Italian art platform. And after that interview came out, a couple of people wrote to Rea Arte and said, have you ever met this collector and asking questions? But, you know, the first person who really kind of blew the whistle on it was this Milan dealer, Federico Vavasori. And he became aware of a digitally manipulated artwork by an artist he represents on um, one of these fake collector accounts. So he wrote the fake collector and to ask about the provenance of the piece. And the person who answered had a sort of suspicious response. And so he started to sort of look into their grid and found these other three collectors and started to write them all and found that they were all kind of having suspicious ways of answering him and being a bit evasive. And, and at one point, Ferry, or the person behind the account, admitted that they were all fake and just, quote unquote, for some entertainment and no harm was meant. And then they all disappeared all at once. Hmm. And so you chased a lot of ghosts on the internet to piece together this elaborate scheme. There was a lot of like way back machine and kind of internet archive sleuthing that you did. So just to catch everyone up, because it's complicated, we've got the fake collectors, we've got the fake artists, and then we have this fake gallery in Tokyo where they supposedly showed. So how did you uncover all this stuff? 
Well, I have to answer that first by saying that I did become very confused at one point because how do you really verify the existence of anything from behind your computer? Like short of literally walking up to the front of a gallery and entering it and seeing with your own eyes that an artwork is there and then meeting that artist who stands there and says, this is mine. Like it's very hard to really like know that anyone you're speaking to online is who they say they are. So I definitely did start to feel like I was chasing ghosts. But what really became kind of apparent was that it seems like around the same time, this Tokyo gallery, the accounts of Moritz Krauss, the profiles of the collectors and interviews about them online, they just all started to disappear. And even as I was writing the story, I would go back to certain websites to like reference them again and they were gone or something had changed. So it was shifting all the time. But one source who I spoke to and who knows the people behind Spazio Or told me that they were approached to curate an exhibition that didn't exist. And this was sort of where I started to really become sure that this was all definitely like connected and faked. So just to make sure I understand. So you spoke to someone who was approached to curate a show and in the invitation, they were told you're curating a show that doesn't exist. Exactly. The person didn't do it, but... (laughs) crazy so what did the collectors say when they found out that they bought works by a fake artist are they embarrassed are they gonna keep them is it gonna make it somehow counterintuitively more valuable I think that was maybe the most surprising thing about this whole process was that they were not feeling defrauded the collector I spoke to who bought the work for 1100 said it made the work more interesting and I guess in the end, pursuing damages for 1,100 euros is perhaps not totally worthwhile. But really, the main thrust of his conviction was that it was made the work more interesting. It was an interesting story. And in the end, they got a piece of work that they had paid for. And it showed up and it looked the way that they expected it to look. And this collector also said, you know, that pseudonyms have a long lineage in art history and that the story makes a good comment on the way that art is traded today. <laughs> so they weren't mad. Do you know if it's hanging in their house? I didn't ask that, but I should. I do wonder. I presume it's in a storage, but maybe it's moved above the mantelpiece. Yeah, you know, no. So you mentioned that there's an art dealer who spotted a painting that looked like a work by an artist that they represent, but turned out to be digitally manipulated. And that is the person who sort of started poking around and spooking these fake accounts. So he has asked Italian authorities to look into this. Do you know what the status of that inquiry is? Yeah, well, the first thing that they're trying to establish is who's to blame or who the alleged perpetrators are, because the dealer doesn't know for certain. But I think importantly, the allegation that the art dealer is making is specifically different. It's about copyright infringement, right? Because the issue for him was that a work by an artist that was really made was digitally altered and then used for promotion. So he's pursuing damages for copyright infringement in that case. I'll follow it. I'm very curious to see what turns out there. Yeah, I guess you can't even file that suit if you don't know who to sue. Yeah, exactly. So they first have to figure out who they're suing. (laughs) So with the dollar value comparatively low for a work of art, In a way, you could maybe say this is a victimless crime. It's a commentary. You talked to at least one lawyer to ask, is this even illegal? And the answer was surprising. You know, I think in the case of the copyright infringement case, we'll have to see. 
But a lawyer that I spoke to said that, you know, if you bought something and you got what you bought, if the name of the artist was pseudonymized, nothing necessarily illegal happened because the contract was upheld and it's part of, you know, artistic integrity. But he did say that if the artwork was being produced by a group of people and pretending to be one person, that this could enter like dubious legal ground. Hmm. Listeners who have followed us through this whole complicated journey may have already arrived at this conclusion, but you have reason to believe that this whole thing might be an art project. So what initially gave you that idea? I can't say for certain who's behind this, but I think that I have a strong guess. And in the end, I do feel that on the surface, there was strong awareness of the art market and this idea to push emerging artists to the top of algorithms. So it really does seem like some kind of a statement on the stratification of the art market, but also how shallow the art world is and an attempt to comment on just how quickly and what a surface way we kind of engage with art today. Also, these sorts of shallow engagements drive real economies and livelihoods and also leave a lot of people out of a livelihood. So I do have a hunch that it was an art project that, you know, sort of evolved into something a bit more scammy in the end. You said you have a hunch of who's behind it. Can you tell us? Well, I can't say for certain, but most people I spoke to in the art world have a hunch. And I can't repeat it because it's hearsay, but all the roads that I went down did sort of lead back to Spazio Or. I would love to hear concretely from the people behind that space, like if they have any connection to any of this. And both of them are Italian emergent artists who make very minimalist art. But unfortunately, I was only answered with more questions. So I was not able to get any real comments from them. So that's just a pure guess at this point. But, you know, I have to really say that if it is an art project, I do think that it is not a great one because if you're going to make a comment like that on the art business, it's a different game when you start to make real money off of tricking people. You know, one could read this as a conceptual performance, and maybe it is, but I do see it as like the sum of a bunch of tricks made on others. And I don't think that that's very cool. I think it's quite deceitful. I was especially sad to hear from all these emerging artists who had been contacted by collectors that were not real, Mm. you know, told that they were maybe interested in their work or told that they were going to have a show somewhere. And no money was lost in those interactions, but it's just not a nice thing to do. And I think if you're going to make a comment about the art market, there's certainly a better way to do it. Hmm. And so looking at the evidence, what do you think? Was it a scam or an art project or did it start as one and end up as the other? Or is the distinction maybe even mood at this point? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I guess it's somewhere in between because real money changed hands and someone is pursuing damages for copyright infringement. So my best guess is that it's an art project that became a bit too real, but we'll have to see, you know, I'm quite interested to see what turns out with that investigation. And if these people ever decide to come forward with some kind of concrete statement, we'll have some answers. But what it really does show us is just how our behaviors on Instagram are a real confidence trick. And it does give us some serious pause because this is a growing platform that art dealers are doing real business on and artists as well. And I mean, journalists are also, that's where we're getting a lot of information. So the whole scheme does bring some pause for sure. I remember years ago, maybe more than eight years ago, I was talking with staff at work and we had this joke, you know, what if you created on Instagram, a fake gallery, like a miniature gallery, and you put little JPEGs on the walls and you took pictures and you posted it up as if it were a real show and you reinstalled it all the time and ha ha ha, wouldn't that be so outrageous? And it was 
kind of a fantasy joke. And now fast forward, it's happening. And I think it's just so revealing about how we do business and navigate the world has changed. Totally. You could hang an artwork on a wall in Photoshop. It takes about five minutes. The program practically does it for you. And the more and more that I was looking at some of these spaces that were just these extravagant, beautiful spaces. I mean, it's very easy to create a shadow of a reflection on the floor. Like even I know how to do it and I write for a living. Um, imagine, you know, if an artist is playing around on Photoshop, one can only imagine what they can do. So it really shows how hungry people are for attention, but also just how distracted we all are. And I think you make a great point. Like it's just so easy to fly under the radar with a fake account when everybody is just spending about two seconds looking at everything. And, you know, we're in an industry that is really reliant on clout and this has turned to digital clout now and also an industry that's reliant on aesthetics. So these two things can come together in a pretty dangerous way. It's, I mean, just look at Anna Delvey. Didn't she build her whole reputation on Instagram? Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Anna Delvey and how she sort of informs the way you're looking at this scam? I think that they're totally different, of course. I mean, she is a convicted scammer and took a lot of money from people. And it was definitely much more deceitful than this is probably. But she used Instagram and made friends and impressed people just enough that they trusted her. And that threshold for trust is quite low, it seems these days, <laughs> especially, you know, if you want to share some cool stories and, you know, repost each other. Hers was also, you know, a very studied facade put forth on Instagram. You know, she really used art, art fairs, the Venice Biennale, these other places, and showed herself there to kind of create this persona of a culturally engaged, wealthy, connected person. And so it does seem like in both cases, knowing the kind of vernacular of who you're trying to be, you know, whether it's like a young globetrotting collector or a sophisticated Italian gallery gets you a long way. Totally. It's interesting because, you know, Anna Delvey was a real person going to these things and Instagram was bolstering her persona. But in this case of these fake collectors, they didn't actually exist. So they couldn't show up at parties. And that was really, I think, one of the first telltale signs that people started to become suspicious that these people didn't have any party pictures. One person told me, like, they weren't at any of the events. So lesson for the future of scammers. <laughs> so part of what makes this story so delicious is because it kind of catches the art world with its pants down. You know, these real collectors are duped by a fake artist whose work they've never seen, that's shown in a gallery that isn't even real. You know, I think if you're kind of looking to say the art market is bullshit, this is a great thing to point to because of how easy it was for people who are willing to spend real money to get duped. So what does it say to you about the legitimacy of the art market? It shows just how quickly and hungry people are to make decisions that will propel them forward in some way. I mean, even for collectors, I guess we all have this idea that someone might like go to a space or have a studio visit, but you know, if someone seems great online, like maybe that's just enough now. So I think it shows the acceleration. And I think that these accounts just grabbed the coattails of that accelerated way of making decisions in the art business right now. It also is an interesting reminder that as we enter this kind of time of the metaverse and, you know, board eight profile picks and the crypto art world, where a lot of people are becoming really afraid of scams as well, 
this has been happening for a while now. Like we've been getting tricked and we've all been faking it to a certain extent online for quite a while. Like doesn't everybody post their best pictures online? And it's just part of the medium, you know? And yeah, and as you've said, it's also been a legitimate tool for business, Instagram, in the art world for a long time. And also a place where we project a version of ourselves that we want to show to the world. And so I wonder, after having done this story, do you look at Instagram any differently? Do you navigate it any differently? Are you more suspicious when you're scrolling through your stories? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I've been talking to some sources on Instagram about something else recently. And I've definitely been looking at people's profiles with a little more skepticism. And then even when you end up on a website, also wondering like, who made this? So I think, you know, a lot of this is also symptomatic of the fact that we're living in a pandemic. So I'm sort of hoping that, you know, as the world opens up yet again for hopefully in the summer, that there'll be a little bit more of an easier way to like build trust and also just corroborate that what you're seeing is what you're really getting, you know? Yeah, man, can't underestimate the value of a phone call anymore, I guess, either, (laughs) or a FaceTime. Or a handshake. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for joining us on The Art Angle and for taking us through this twisty, turvy, (laughs) crazy story. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.